Hello and welcome to another episode of Thinking Critically, a D&D discussion. My name is Danilo, a D&D lad, and I like all kinds of games and the crunchy mechanics that make them tick. Today we are talking about roles and I'm joined by another international guest, Howie, aka the Blue Collar DM. Can you tell us a bit about yourself? Yeah, sure, absolutely. So I... I'm a YouTube creator and Twitch streamer. I've been dabbling in the space for the better part of uh, 2020, ironically. And I actually stream a a game online, but then not only that, we actually, what we're really kind of known for is our Dungeon Master kind of like talks. And so, or just at least subject matter. So we do like monster breakdowns. Uh, We actually recently started a new campaign uh, where we actually break down homebrew uh, submissions from our viewership and actually evaluate them live on stream and actually ask questions, answer questions, and kind of have a really great dialogue back and forth. And then we actually also do a lot of kind of deep dives in some of the uh, the virtual tabletops that are out there and compare them as best we can, apples to oranges, mm-hmm. to grapefruits and kumquats as best we can. <laughs> so been done remastering for the better part of a year and also I've been playing the 5th edition game for about four years now so it's it's been quite a quite a journey but uh it's been really fun and uh i'm excited to see what the close of 2020 has for everyone and see what 2021 has Mm, indeed i think we all are and uh i actually watched that video of yours about comparing the virtual tabletops so yeah i I actually found that quite useful myself when i'm I'm thinking about migrating away from roll 20 to um foundry (laughs) in the end excellent it's actually the one we use in our live stream game uh you know, it comes with its own challenges, of course, mm. with it being kind of a primarily beta-released mm. software platform where it's constantly being updated and stuff like that. But I love the presentation style. I love the reasonable price point that it has. Yeah. I love that there's a lot of community-driven content that's or community-driven, like, they, they call them modules, but basically just interfaces that have mm. been added to the platform, which really has... That's what I like about it. I love the customizability of it as opposed to being like stuck in only one way to do things. Yeah, I got to get over that initial hurdle of migration. But then once that, I'm looking forward to getting my teeth into it. Absolutely. So today's topic is roles, R-O-L-E-S. Let's dive in. What does roles mean to you? It kind of means a few things, actually. So you have what I like to think of as your traditional player roles, your traditional character roles. So I definitely delineate between the two between like like your player plays a role at your table in addition to the character that they're playing plays a role in their party mm-hmm. in addition to just i also kind of think about general role play in that sense as well just like and i kind of dump it into that bucket because the role play aspect also has an impact on who you are and what your role is at the table as a player and also as your player character so when i hear the word roles i it you know i can think of a million different things I'd love to dive into and, and and so it gets a little overwhelming but when I hear the word I basically think of those three things sure funny enough the one of the things that I started with too is uh, the role of the party members the player characters so my opening question to you is a lot of typical role-playing games so predominantly video games having a rounded party is a constant right you have your tank think of world of warcraft for example you can't even queue for a dungeon without a tank and the healer Mm -hmm. slots filled and then three dps in for fun yeah (laughs) how do you how do you think that applies to DD? do you think it needs that same level of rigor do you think it benefits or it subtracts from the experience um in all honesty i don't find that it does now i 
don't think so it's it's funny i have this um perspective on D D where D D is the game that you make for everyone's enjoyment so if everybody wants to be healy clerics or that barely put out any sort of damage whatsoever mm. they, they have the ability to do that if they want to and there's definitely storylines and compelling plots and things that can come out of that kind of a scenario so when I think of like necessarily the general party balance and those kinds of roles that people kind of think of, like you're saying, with the World of Warcrafts and the other kind of um, like Pillars of Eternities mm. and all those sort of games where you kind of have to have somebody that can go out in the front, occupy everybody and get their attention while the healer keeps them up while everyone else is kind of just trying to blast them from the side. That's a way you can play, and that's totally fine. But I don't think that, especially the 5th edition game, is beholden to that standard that we see out of traditional video game media and stuff like that. I think it's flexible enough and the framework is there that it allows you to flex in and out if you want to do that kind of thing, but also allows, if provided your dungeon master is able to adapt to that kind of style, mm-hmm. it depends on your table, depends on your game, depends on your players. I think that it really helps bridge that gap in the fact that you don't necessarily need to play the game one way. You can play it in multiple different ways and fill Everyone can fill the same role. Like everybody can play the same character class, mm-hmm. but also play it in very different ways. Yeah. Like you have your bard trees, you have all those kind of like your clerics, like no cleric is the same. Like everyone jokes about at least some of the critical role characters, like Jester never heals. Well, yeah, that's she's playing a different kind of cleric, mm-hmm. which but she's also role playing it even and like leaning into it even more mm-hmm. just for the the laws. But I find that like we said, like the traditional party balance doesn't necessarily need to be that important in the game. Yeah, I absolutely agree. There's a there's a player in one of my games who twice now he says I'll be the last to pick a racing class combo because I I want to plug any gaps. And I've said to him like mm-hmm. don't don't worry about that man. Just play where you want to play because I see it as and you, you touched on it there about the DM can adapt. I I do think one of the roles the DM has is to adapt to that setup. And a follow-on idea is some of the most funniest party compositions i've heard of are like the teenage mutant ninja turtles you've got four mm-hmm. monk turtles which of mm-hmm. course is it's quite restricted there but then of course in in yep. in the subclasses you've got a bit of leeway as you said but that sounds great and i'd love to dm that even though it would be trickier in a way because you don't have a cleric and you don't have a paladin and, and yeah 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 but i absolutely say that that's the dm's role is to enable and facilitate that kind of composition well and creativity too Mm -hmm. like if the players all want to play and lean into one whether it be character class or like archetype you can still have very engaging storylines and plot hooks even just branching out of those particular play styles like you you say teenage mutant ninja turtles i'm already thinking about like rival monasteries in (laughs) you know the hills of or the mountains somewhere in some world and they're almost like a Cobra Kai scenario or something. I'm already kind of like spinning here and I'm already coming up with ideas. So it's, but of course we think of D and D kill things, smash monsters, all Mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. But like, there's plenty of ways with the dungeon master fulfilling their role. They're able to kind of, they need to facilitate that. I mean, at the uh, same rate, it's the players want to be this creative and be this and like have this kind of game. Then it's kind of on you to kind of help facilitate that. And that's and like you said, that's kind of the role that the DM plays in those mm-hmm. scenarios. For sure. And of course, you rattled them off earlier on like the usual caveats of the kind of players and the kind of DM and the kind of game you want to play. Of course, that's all goes without saying, you know, every game is different, so on and so on. But yeah, I agree that for a game to be, you know, in any shape and form successful or to maintain the players for any length of time. I would say yes, one of the DMs role is to kind of encourage and facilitate that 
do I think that now maybe there should be, you know, maybe, maybe it just leads to a more versatile game, a more kind of long lasting game if the classes are varied? Honestly, I, I don't think I know the answer to that question. I think it would be hilarious to play a party of like five bards in a band. That sounds mm-hmm. dope. <laughs> but yeah, uh, <laughs> the classic like got to make our way to the conference concert venue before it closes, and we we're on a bender last night, and we have no idea what we are or who we are or what what yeah. particular instrument we're supposed to be playing. Where are the drumsticks? <laughs> Don't know. Got to find them on the way to the concert. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Sounds hilarious, but for maybe for long term campaign viability, my thought would be maybe having a variety in classes might just enable more avenues for exploration and more avenues for interesting backstory developments i don't know i'm just thinking out loud what do you think i think it absolutely can it's just that i do believe that there is like think back when uh, the power rangers were very popular like in essence they're all kind of like the same mm-hmm. character class or think of any kind of like group of individuals that kind of have similar skill sets like there's still some variability within their you know like mm-hmm. say they're all monks like there's still some variability sure. in all their skill sets that they have but in addition to that like there is a big bad evil guy whether it's um the uh, i can't even remember the uh zord or yes, whatever the heck yeah, is yeah. Or, um and then madam i think it was like uh madam repulsa or something yeah, I can't she, remember the she's, she's the baddie yeah yeah and so there's like still like the existential threat mm-hmm. it comes in a very episodic format which is very similar to what Dungeons and Dragons mm-hmm. is and even then like they've still kind of had that ability to continue to be creative and come up with those varying storylines now they pretty much all have the same rhythm fight putties kill uh kill the bad thing when it's small it gets big make megazord yeah. kill it again but at the same time they have gone deep enough to vary it enough that it feels fresh Especially, I mean, all when we're kids. But, I mean, even still now, if you probably look back on it, like, it's... You can see the patterns that exist, mm-hmm. but that's kind of the pattern in Dungeons & Dragons, too. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, instead of, like, fighting putties and stuff like that, it's usually, like, find plot hook, travel to plot hook. Plot hook is not actually what we thought it was. <laughs> Go to next plot hook, exactly. and there, there's the bad thing. So, it still kind of has that rhythm, depending, again, on how you run your games. But um, I do understand what you're saying, though, that if you have more varying player classes mm-hmm. in your group it does make it probably makes it a little bit easier i would say mm-hmm. yeah as a dungeon master to come up with that kind of stuff but i think even still like i think it's a kind of a cool challenge to yeah. kind of be able to have long-term campaign viability with a party full of human fighters that would be the fun <laughs> that would be a fun one actually i want to run a game where maybe an eberron or something eberron adjacent where it's a party full of different types of artificer and yeah. they're like going around and trying to discover some new technology before some existential threat finds it mm-hmm. and tries to take over the world. Which, you know, spoiler alert, the existential threat will usually get it first. But then they have to fight against that existential mm-hmm. threat again in order yeah. to be able to take it back or something along those lines. I think those kinds of things do excite me. Yeah, and, but just sure. as much as the balanced quote unquote mm-hmm. player character parties do as well. Mm-hmm. And you've got lots of room for role play there. You're almost having to not force the players, but to carve out their own niche. So if you're all the if they're all the same class, then maybe the players want to. Well, I'm I want to be this kind of artificer, and I want to be this kind mm-hmm. of artificer. Whereas if you're in a, a mixed party and there's just one rogue, I think it can be quite easy to fall back into the stereotypical. I'm the edgy rogue. Or I'm the person that's going to go in front and make sure that the doors aren't going to blow up in our faces or whatever mm-hmm. the case may be. Yeah, yeah exactly. No, I, I see what you're saying. Yeah. And it's funny that you say that too, because like, I even like to say that no one even same subclass necessarily can all, isn't always necessarily played the exact same way. Mm-hmm. And 
not to turn this into a giant artificer discussion because I love artificer mm -hmm. way too much. You can have two artillerists that do very similar things with, as far as like they have those Eldritch cannons and all that kind of stuff, but they also have that ability to take different um, magic items from their infused item tree, which mm -hmm. is can make them very unique and very different, and mm -hmm. they can play very differently. And even if you have like a party full of monks, you might have some monks that like maybe they come from the same monastery, maybe they don't, mm -hmm. and maybe the beliefs of one conflict with another. And there's a nice big gap there that you can kind of fill with just different creativity and mm -hmm. role play that can mm -hmm. be really fun mm -hmm. and very rewarding. Yeah, for sure. So we mentioned a couple of stereotypes during that whole discussion, and I wanted to talk about very related topic of certain classes being expected to play certain roles so for mm -hmm. example mm -hmm. clerics are often for rightly or wrongly seen as the healer and likewise with barbarians are often seen as the tank do you think that well the answer is i probably know what your answer is going to be <laughs> and it's going to be you can, you can play it however you want which is absolutely the right way to go about it but often i think about you know people approaching the game for the first time or even they've come from maybe other tabletop RPGs. And I think that often that's, they're the preconceptions, right? For rightly or wrongly. You know, how does that affect player experience? Do you think that makes certain classes easier or harder to play? You know, what are your thoughts on predetermined mm -hmm. archetypes for the character classes? Hmm. I don't think it necessarily takes away from them. There, it, there is some, like you said, there is some familiarity with those very stereotypical kind of archetypes and, mm -hmm. They exist for a reason. They exist because that's what we readily gravitate towards. Now, for a, say, a new player who's starting out and like kind of wants an idea of what they could or couldn't do or what's available to them, like obviously anything's available to them in the 5th edition version of the game or even some of the older ones as well, but it's a nice starting point for someone who's not really sure what they're, like if they're diving in for the first time, and it gives them the ability to kind of pick a archetype that they either identify with or mm. one that they think that they can emulate or maybe they don't identify with and that's why they want to pick it just so they can try something that they haven't done ever before and i think that it can be useful especially in that scenario and it is sometimes even fun for veteran players to do that as well like i joke with my friends all the time like the next game i play and i might just play a barbarian so i don't have to think so hard mm -hmm. but <laughs> um but even still, I could also just really think really hard as a barbarian regardless, just because there's plenty of ways that you can play your barbarians in a, you know, a myriad of different ways. Like, yes, combat may be like I go up and hit something, but maybe it's like I go up and I go this way and I try to jump off of this thing and then I hit something. Mm -hmm. And like, so it doesn't necessarily have to get stale. And it's a good way to like allow people to kind of grow and then eventually branch off from that archetype and mm -hmm. be able to, I don't know if there's an actual number, but like say like you get 10 sessions in and the player finally feels like, they have an idea of what's going on here. They have an idea of how the game is played. So now they can start making those kind of more radical, non-archetypal mm -hmm. decisions because it's maybe it's a character moment and they're deciding that, you know what, hey, this happened to me and now I feel this way about this because of that event. And that can be really enriching, mm -hmm. especially for new players and for old players alike. And do I think it necessarily takes anything away? Not necessarily, like kind of like what we just talked about, but at the same time, I think that at the end of the day, each character should be unique in its own way. You can still play an archetype, like a human fighter that goes around and hits things, but that human fighter could be anything. They could have been an old gladiator. They could have mm. been a, a human noble. They could have been a failure out of a monk monastery. Or yeah. They could be a lot of different things, and that can inform, like, I guess it's an archetype to play it a certain way maybe in combat, but, like, it can still feel unique and fresh depending on, like, the amount of investment you put into the character and their backstory. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
Yeah, that's a really good point. And I think fighter can sometimes get a bit of a bad rap for being like, oh, a human fighter, boring. But man, some of those subclasses are insane. Not to cut you off, but I think that the fact that human fighter is seen as very boring, I think is like one of the biggest like misconceptions Mm -hmm. and myth that exists. Yeah. I almost like to say tiefling warlocks are really boring because mm-hmm. everybody loves to play a tiefling warlock because they're high charisma and it makes sense. Mm-hmm. I love the fact that the human is like kind of your almost big jack of all trades currently in the current um, edition mm-hmm. um, before Tasha's comes out and completely throws everybody upside down and we'll have a bunch of orc wizards out there. Yep. But <laughs> I think it's one of the most flexible and the most unique classes. I think we just think about it wrong. And the fa- and like we just said, like I've already come up with three. I can probably come up with like five more different scenarios mm-hmm. where the human fighter's background is going to inform how they fight or what they are or who they are and how they interact within the world and is going to make them unique to that particular storyline where it fits. And so a lot of the other class character races, like they have that, but like they also have their own stereotypes too that Mm -hmm. typically people want to lean into. But a lot of times there are myriads of different types of humans on planet earth Mm. in our prime material. (laughs) But when we think of dwarves and elves and, we only really think of the there's only one kind of dwarf and there's only one kind of elf and there's a stereotype there too so when people say to me like human fighters boring i'm like human fighters are great mm-hmm. they can literally be anything yeah because they are kind of the blank slate there's not already like okay if you're a dwarf and you're a cleric all right there's already a archetype mm-hmm. to assume there and yes human fighter is an archetype that you can assume but it can flex into so many different directions yeah. that i just find it very interesting and unique that that's where people still kind of identify with it yeah. but i like to say it's just like you, you just gotta dig a little deeper man yeah i i, I agree <laughs> that just, just looking at the subclasses available now especially with tasha's on the horizon they're just mad and they provide such good backstory what's the word inspiration so oh i want to be the samurai fighter subclass and Absolutely, you, you yeah. read the read the fluff text to samurai and it's all like you know honor and nobility and all this other these other kind of things and then you read it for the other fighter subclasses and that's you know it takes one read of that fluff to go wicked i've got a great idea here i am yeah but the the idea i've got for a fighter an orc samurai fighter is that he's basically like a vigilante kind of like a bounty hunter vigilante who i love it he's going to get rid of the bad guys by his own hand because he doesn't trust you know the police aren't doing their job and whatnot so he's like well it's it's down to me because they are bad and therefore they gotta go and i'm gonna do it by my own kind of justice kind of way and that's that's great and that's still just a a, just a fighter yeah exactly and and i think we kind of touched on a little bit too the other thing that's going to be fun in tasha's if the listeners aren't aware is that they're also allowing you to kind of flex one of your ability score increases from your race to a different one so that's why i was saying like we're gonna start getting some very interesting crazy combinations Mm -hmm. of like orc wizard or wood elf barbarian i mean i guess you could still be a barbarian as a wood but but you know what i'm saying or like or actually even better uh gnome barbarian Mm -hmm. and just like just crazy combinations that like i don't think we've ever seen which is going to be interesting but um the one thing that anyway we've kind of discussed this already I fear for the, it's it's unique, but it's almost, it is going to be unique for unique sake. And I do think that some folks will lean into that for a little while. It's like, you know, having the Vidalcan Mystic as mm-hmm. XP to level three likes to say like, yeah, it's the most out of the, out of the wall thing you can think of. But guess what? Everyone plays the Vidalcan Mystic the same way because everybody has a preconception of what a Vidalcan Mystic is mm-hmm. or whatever the case may be. But where you take something that's more, I guess you could say mundane that we normally think of, like 
But if you can actually take that and expand upon that, you'll probably find that you have much more deeper investment into those characters than the ones that are just kind of like, I almost like to say zebras in a pack of horses, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's like, yeah, it's very unique and weird because of what it is. But like, is that all that's unique to that particular character is the mm. fact that they, they are a Vidalka mystic. Is there something else about them that makes them unique? And a lot of times, unfortunately, and not fortunately, unfortunately, I, I should preface every single statement I say. Mm-hmm. Your game is your game. Play it the way you want. Yeah, yeah. But like, I'm very much. I love the investment into deep, enriching role play, and and that's why I say like a lot of folks play those kind of zebra type characters in one kind of facet in one way because it's novelty. But after you get about ten to fifteen games in, when does that novelty wear off? Mm-hmm. And then you have to start realizing that like I don't have anything other about this character other than the fact that they are that they are a novelty. Yeah, they're a bit two dimensional. Like, what are they? Ac- they're actually two dimensional because of the fact that they basically just lean into that one mm-hmm. characteristic about themselves rather than actually having deep existential crises and thoughts. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I, I agree. I, they, I think I, so. It's the same trap as you in that everybody's game is their own. However, my my stance on that is usually, yes, everybody's game is their own. But from experience, I find that the more you put in, the more you get out. So the more you want to lean into it, the more enriching the payoff ends up being. Uh, And I guess if you don't want an enriching payoff, then okay, that's that's fine. Hey, pretzels and, you know, pretzels and beer style D&D is still a thing. Mm -hmm. And that's what helps people kind of unwind on the weekends. Mm -hmm. And I, I get it. Like it's like watching football and it, like it's the same kind of thing for folks around our american football yeah. uh, <laughs> don't worry i made i made the translation in my head it's all right. I, I know <laughs> but i you know i gotta i want to clarify i'm trying to make sure um, but um you know it's it's it can be cathartic which is nice but then like you're saying the more you put into a game like this like in from that standpoint the more you do definitely get out and the more rewarding it can be when things happen and the more investment that you have in like what happens to your character is huge too and then it just all kind of, you know, it's building a snowball. It just gets better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think in my primary campaign, I had a mix of player experience. So it's out of the six, I think four had never played before and then two had. And mm-hmm. the, absolutely that kind of cool-off cathartic experience that you mentioned has been for a couple of the players that very much that. Like, it just takes me away from the real world because the real world kind of sucks right now. So let's go and mm-hmm. live in a different world for a bit. And I don't really care what happens as long as it ain't the real world anymore, which is fine. And, and, and as long as you don't put in an existential pandemic inside your game, which I've actually done before. But, um... Art <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, imitates life, as they say. <laughs> so yeah, that's, uh, yes, that's, that's interesting. And I've said it in, a, in an earlier episode that there's a couple of big payoffs there that I'm really looking forward to in terms of like, this is like two years in the making almost at some point. So it's going to be a really juicy like, whoa, that's that's a big deal. Mm-hmm. And that's thanks to the players in part, you know, it's it's them Absolutely. providing me the munitions and I just got to knock the arrow and let it fly. Exactly. Oh, I'm really proud of that analogy or metaphor. Huh. So, yeah. Tra- trademark that one. <laughs> not, not scripted whatsoever. No, no, yeah. By the way. <laughs> That was completely off the cuff. Thank you. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we, we've we talked about kind of the classes and, and the roles they should or shouldn't play. If we take that out, up a level, away from the tabletop and to around mm-hmm. the table, yep. I would like your professional opinion on, and it's going to sound like a stupid question, but I think some listeners are going to appreciate it. How does the role of the DM differ from the role of the players? I am honored that you call me professional. However, um, so 
that's an that's interesting. So it's funny you phrase that question because my initial instinct, and I want to I want to make sure I'm providing the best value I can here, is that it it doesn't, in a sense, it doesn't really Ooh. differ all that much. While you are playing the NPCs and da, 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 like you're you're fulfilling a lot of different hats in this DM seat. At the end of the day, like you are creating a game for your players, but they're giving you just as much like, and you even said, giving you the ammunition to knock the arrow. Mm-hmm. They're coming up with just as much stuff through their role play and their complete, unabashed like real reactions to what actually happened in your game, that it basically gives you your prep. Like mm-hmm. yes, you prep, but you prep because your players give it to you, mm-hmm. and so. From that standpoint, like I like to think of it as like, yes, you're giving them something, but they're giving you something back from that standpoint. So I find that it really doesn't differ all that much. It's just that you're pl- you are in a different role because you're playing a different position on the in the, at the gaming table. But even and I think you can agree with me on this, like especially for NPCs and stuff like that, like it, you have pretty much generally surface level investment in a lot of the different characters that you are portraying because you have to manage a lot of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but you dive in specifically on very important ones that you care about and you develop them quite a bit. That's what your players are doing at all times. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so in essence, like the way you are reacting is very similar in the way that your players react. It's just that you do at the end of the day do have control over a number of the things that they run into mm-hmm. but nine times out of ten it's because they've given you something that tells you and cues into you that they want this and that's what you give back to them so and like and they want it from you so in a sense i guess it technically i guess it could still like even with my roundabout description on how this works is that it could still be technically different but it's not very different mm. it's very similar both player and dm are giving each other just as much ammunition if not more by the player side, pretty perfectly honest, that the DM is kind of putting back out there. It's just that they happen to be the one with the screen in front of them mm-hmm. that knows that what's going to happen versus the players kind of feel you with like, this is what they'd like to see happen. Mm-hmm. That's a really eloquent way of putting it there. Um, and it, it, They're almost like two sides of the same coin, right? You're both sitting at the same table to have the same experience. So exactly. everyone's there to have fun at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. So one thing I do quite like about DMing is that proactive and reactive prep so you've got as mm-hmm. you said you've got an idea of what's going to happen but then the players provide the well this is what is going to happen sir and this is <laughs> this is what we're going to do now exactly and then you've got exactly to, yeah do that reactive the other half yeah. so there's all the tailor two sides on, on every side yeah. of it and 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 don't get me wrong like i've been blessed with great players who like you know for example like i might like come up with a world and prep all that kind of stuff and give them a situation like hey this is the little bubble that you're starting in but then they also just give me this entire giant bubble of like what they want to produce uh, or give as part of their character and what they where they see their character what their character's history used to be where they see the character going and that just gives me fuel to kind of okay well you want this to happen well th- hey guess what now there's something over in this part of the world that exists and like when you guys go to explore it that'll fulfill that thing that you wanted and like it continues to branch off of there so like because at the end of the day like in essence the dm's role is to make sure that everyone's having a good time and that even means themselves mm-hmm. and the players their kind of role is to make sure that they themselves have a good time which then would make the dm have a good time so it kind of is a nice like you're saying different sides of the same cool. coin yeah but I find that it's 
not too dissimilar. And I find that it's a two-way street. It, you know, it's like playing tennis. You hit the ball one way, it comes back the other way. It's just that there's like six people on one side of the court and one person on the other. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you got to meet in the middle. Exactly. Something I have had an internalized struggle with before is that it does feel like I have to do a lot of homework sometimes in terms of mm -hmm. making maps and you know making sure combat encounters are going to be engaging and exciting and that mm -hmm. always takes longer than i think it will do specifically combat encounters so sometimes sometimes it can feel a bit one way i have to say that that's a personal experience on my part and sometimes it's a bit difficult for me and it's something i need to work on as i as i grow and 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 get a, a better dm and sometimes just to disassociate some things and some elements and and so on and so on but um it, it's it's funny you use the word disassociate and i'm sorry to cut you off no 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 i, I want to i actually want to kind of hit that part that you just mentioned please because i've had and this is going to feel like a tangent but it's not meant to be a tangent and one thing that i find especially when working with players who might be having difficulty engaging in role play mm -hmm. a part of what the or at least what i find is that they find themselves well they're worried about the ridicule from the people around them at the table which mm -hmm. seems silly it's supposed to be a safe space but sometimes that is the thing but they can't actually dissociate themselves from the actions that the character is taking between that and themselves and that that's why it prompted it in my head that you said something about like it's hard for me to disassociate like the amount of prep mm -hmm. and like the investment or what i'm getting back out and it's like and we, i do want to come back to that too mm -hmm. but if there's any listeners out there who are trying to like figure out ways to get their players to role play more or whatever like that, a lot of the strategies I like to use are usually like like and if you you've heard it all before like you know refer to each other as your character and refer and refer to the actions that you're performing as your character and all that kind of stuff. But once you can get that kind of like there's a little bit of a switch that happens when you're able to kind of disassociate yourselves mm -hmm. from the actual character themselves and realize that you're playing the character and playing a role not playing yourself as the character which is always very difficult in the beginning because most people want to play characters that are very similar to themselves yep. which then leads to mm -hmm. the barrier of role play is hard to break down because there is that link once you can take that away you're amazed by the amount of freedom that you can have and the amount of awesome experiences you can have by being able to kind of take a step back and be like, hey, I'm just playing, you know, Vlad the Impaler or whatever like that. I am not Vlad the Impaler, but I am making decisions for Vlad based on what I think he would think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that helps because then you are taking responsibility of that action by the character. The character is. And that can be very helpful. Mm -hmm. But let's... I'm sorry to no, 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 that's completely that's dissociates one of my favorite words because it immediately makes me think of that right off the bat. Yeah, yeah, no, that's great. It's a, that's the purpose of the podcast. So please, anytime, just please <laughs> just dive in. That point you've made there of having that responsibility for the character's actions. So we're going to talk about it, the my guy syndrome thing. And the best response I saw to that of, you know, someone saying, well, I'm going to do it because it's what my guy would do. And it's it's almost, you know, they're almost putting their hands up and saying it's out of my control my mm -hmm. my idiot barbarian would run in and and essentially commit suicide because he's running headlong into some stupid thing and the response <laughs> the, the response was that's crap you were in complete control of the actions of your character but the meaty part is is as you were saying better than i can say is that you get to make that decision you get to make those choices and you can never abstain from responsibility because every action your yeah. character makes is one that you've consciously chose them to do and so you're always you always have a choice it's that fantasy trope of there's always a choice 
you, you were. <laughs> well, and, and and like you're saying, and 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 thank you for flattering me with saying that I'm smart. Um, but um, even still, like in like the ability to be able to dissociate those actions is great. But then the concept of like, oh, it's what my character would do. It's like kind of thought processes that go along with that. Like you're saying, at the end of the day, you control your character. But at the end of the day, it's also you playing your character mm-hmm. or playing the character. So. And I think, and I tried to mention it before, and I want to kind of hit this home, like, I believe in role play is utilizing the experiences that a character has had and being able to utilize those experiences and those thoughts and those ideals in order to be able to inform what they do Mm. in the future in given situations. The example you gave me just there with the barbarian that just runs in headlong into a suicidal situation, just because they're a dumb barbarian with an intelligence of four doesn't mean they don't have basic instincts on mm-hmm. how to survive. And they know that running into a fight that they know that they are going to lose is not something that they would do unless they are a psychopath, which mm-hmm. I'm probably not using the correct terminology, but like unless they actually have something wrong with them, I guess is the best yeah. way to put it yeah, from yeah, that yeah. Sample, standpoint. Some, something chemically. But that play style, I'm doing it because my character would do it, thought process and the kind of like the loaded part of it that comes along with that is, is crap. Mm-hmm. For sure. Because of the fact that like, it's not what your character would do. It's what you're having your character do because you think it'd be funny. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Or you think yeah. that it would, you think that it would stir something up and that's not really what's happening. And, and I, I, the best example I have is that I've been playing a cobalt artificer, go figure an artificer, <laughs> but a cobalt artificer who um, is very jumpy and anxious and like, but he's an artificer. So he's smart, but he does have the tendency to act out of instinct occasionally because of the fact that's what he is. Mm-hmm. And there was a point in our campaign where a number of different Yuan-Ti and a Medusa were kind of all closing in on us and they saw him and knew that he was there and the thing made eye contact with him and started walking towards him. So he did the one thing that he thought he should do, which was react and do something and try to fend it off as fast as possible. Mm -hmm. Even though the, the creature was telling them, no, like don't, because like, it's like, don't attack us or whatever like that. But this character also knew from experience that if he didn't, then there was very likely and probable that he would die. Mm. Or at least that's the thought process. So having those kinds of moments at the table, where you have to kind of think like, and, and as me as a person, like I was like, I really think that this is what he's, he should do. This is a really what I think. And based on like how I know this character, this is what I think he would do. So I'm going to do it. Mm-hmm. Even though I don't like it because mm-hmm. gamer me is like, this is a situation he's probably not going to be very successful in. But it's kind of like a like cornering a cat. Like, it's going to react somehow. And that's mm-hmm. the, basically the situation I felt I was in. So I did it. And it ended up being fine. I mean, the Steel Defender turned to stone, you know, whatever. But um, <laughs> Which is kind of funny. I find out that a Steel Defender can be petrified, but that's the, I actually had to look in that. And apparently that happens. Um, I'll bet that I was like, is it? I'm like, isn't that the one thing it should be immune to? Is like, if it's like a piece of steel and it turns into rock, shouldn't it still work? Um, but um, um, it ended up being fine. And then a very similar situation came down in the, in the games following. And... It was also very challenging, too, because he was also a giant ape at the time, so that made it even more challenging. But th- those situations where you run yourself into, and, like, it may not necessarily be... Like, either scenario had its own benefits and, and disadvantages. And, you know, scenario A of, like, trying to stay hidden and go ahead and be prisoner and see what happens, that is one way you can go. But the other way is to stand up and fight, or at least react, mm-hmm. and... That, based on like what I knew my character's tendencies were and basically who they were, 
I knew that was the way they were going to react because they used to live in a little kobold society and like they were up brought in that way and like they're very small so mm -hmm. they have to like kind of be nimble and quick and they have to think quickly or else they'll die because mm -hmm. they're pretty weak and pathetic yeah let's not beat around the bush and unless of course you get the really cool armor later on down the line so from that standpoint like that is a, a good what my character would do result yeah in action mm -hmm. but the idea of like i'm just going to stir the pot because i'm and i'm going to use the excuse that it's what my character would do so that way i don't have to take any ownership of it that i think is crap <laughs> oh for sure absolutely um <laughs> and you said they're like oh I, I, i'm just going to do it because it's fun the the follow-up question to that is it's fun but only for you and you have exactly. to you have to consider that there are four five six other people who are going to exactly. have, be having the opposite of fun so then you're yeah. just just a bit of a you know i like to think that every player on the gaming table in their own way is a dungeon master in their own sense because mm -hmm. but they only really have to manage and think for one person for one character but it is still their responsibility to ensure that the the enjoyment of everyone else around the table and i think that gets forgotten sometimes because of the traditional scenario you say like oh it's the dungeon master's job to do xyz and they got to produce all this stuff and make sure everybody gets like their mm -hmm. piece and their character and stuff like that but there's also the idea of being a good player means that you also have to make sure that you're playing your character in a way that also includes everyone and make sure that everyone has fun and all mm -hmm. this kind of stuff and at the same time enjoying it yourself and so i think that sometimes that gets lost occasionally mm -hmm. and it's something that i in the like i said terrible podcast yes um no, but no. um <laughs> i think it's uh, i think it's something that um that people should think about the next time they go to sit down at their table is like how am i contributing to the enjoyment of everybody else around me like, mm -hmm. do I really need to be the person that stirs it up every time? Is that really what I, like, have to do? Or is that really only just serving myself? Mm -hmm. And in some cases, like, being the, like, pot stirrer, that's a role. And that's what I was going to make a, a joke about or I was going to talk about when we were talking about roles and the specific player roles. Like, some people have their roles at their table. Like, if you're in your friend group, there's always that one friend that, like, loves to make jokes and, like, mm -hmm. has, likes to stir the pot. But then, like everyone has a big laugh about it because of it and there's always that one person that kind of you know helps people out when they get down yeah. and there's always that one person that kind of like is kind of like the speaker of the group and like is much more assertive and is like willing to go into those uncomfortable situations mm -hmm. and like that's where that piece of the role situation comes in like there is the role of the character and role playing the character and all that kind of stuff but then the roles that you play within your own friend group is also a big piece of the equation too yeah. in having a very fun, very enjoyable D&D game. Talking about the, you know, enabling everybody to have more fun. I think I imagine in my headspace, the game, the flow of a session to have an ebb and a flow to it so you know sometimes mm. these two characters might be talking just themselves for five ten minutes but then they'll you know they'll flow back out to see and then another two characters will come in to fill that space and then they'll have their time to shine and that's how i personally see part of everybody's role to ensure that that ebb and flow is balanced and managed because it's because no one person can do that you need everybody at the table to be on board with that kind of okay now I've talked enough. Let me next couple of encounters. Maybe let me let me just take a back seat. Maybe I'm at the bar for the next couple of encounters, and that's okay and that's fine. I think someone that does a really good job. There's a couple of people that I think do a really good job, and 
Um, I know a lot of folks get triggered when I say things about, or when anyone says things about Critical Role, but I think two people that do a really good job of that specific thing that we're talking about here mm-hmm. is actually Travis Willingham and Sam Regal. Mm-hmm. Like, th- especially in the first campaign. They know their roles in that, in that seat during that first campaign, and even in this other campaign. But they know they have that ability to kind of judge the ebb and flow of like, when do I need to, mm-hmm. to speak or when do I need to be included or when, when do I need to do something versus I need to take a step back and let these characters have their moment because they need to breathe and figure out what's going on and like have that moment in the sun and then go to a, you know, a shop and then like knock out a couple guards and then have all that, you know, the hilarious hilarity that goes along with that whole situation that they had mm-hmm. in the first campaign. So and like I'm not saying that everyone should pretend to be like them, but like that's just a really good example of like if you mm-hmm. want to see and like have something to kind of like look at as a player and have a model to kind of look at, like look at how like those particular individuals kind of like play the game and how they they will step up and take the spotlight when they when necessary, but they are engaged the whole time. Maybe not Sam, but they are engaged the whole time. They're really invested in what's going on. They want to know everything about the other characters as well, not just like what happens to their own. Mm-hmm. And then as a result, that makes it so that way they're ensuring not only that everyone has fun, but they're also having fun by hearing every, like hearing exactly. what's going on that's yeah. allowing everyone to have fun. And then when they get their moment, it makes it even more special, mm-hmm. which is at the end of the day, like what we want, right? Mm-hmm. Like everyone to have fun and then you have fun ultimately in the end. Mm-hmm. Similar situation happening in, in the game that I'm playing in at the moment with a couple of the players have been incarcerated and actually my, my character is the only one to escape out of a, a party of four so the dm and mm-hmm. i were talking today at length about like how do we want to approach this this is when we we, we record it for for its own podcast and mm-hmm. even less want boring stuff on air because you know one-sided so he's like it's only going to be you and me i don't want it to take too long but we just had that candid and open discussion about here's how we can approach it in a way that is going to be interesting but i said to him i said frankly with the players that we have I think the three of the guys are going to be more than happy just to listen to you and me talk about what's <laughs> what's going to happen for that exact reason of they're you know they're invested in the in the story and the narrative because they're having fun and right my character wasn't even there for the first 10 sessions they've had 10 sessions without me you know it's that ebb and flow i guess is is what i'm getting at that that yeah is, is bringing every everybody's level of enjoyment up exactly wow that was a we really went to town on that one, huh? <laughs> oh yeah. No, not scared. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> worst, worst podcast guest ever. No, no, no. <laughs> not at all. Uh, that's the beauty of editing, anyway. Who knows? <laughs> I know, right? Um, one thing I was, I was, I was thinking about then, and it's, it's a thought I've had before about. Uh, honestly, can't even remember whether I've talked about it before on, on the podcast or whatnot. But um, I think that people might gravitate towards the human fighter and the you know the orc barbarian because they are maybe seen as easier i don't think maybe seen i think certainly barbarian is a simpler class than say druid for example certainly at earlier levels oh for 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 sure especially for newer newer players who are Mm -hmm. like intimidated by a lot of the mechanics if you can you know if they can learn some of them it makes it their life easier and then they can kind of branch into spellcasting as they go but Mm -hmm. so yeah i was thinking that like maybe newer players will gravitate towards those simpler classes for the, for that reason. But then ironically, they can be harder to role play because you have to put more effort into that. I'm not going to charge into that suicidal situation. I'm not just going to be the edgy mute rogue in the corner who doesn't do anything or say anything. Cause I'm 
quiet silent type you almost because i'm so emo and edgy yeah yeah the fringe <laughs> coming down their face and it's it's they're almost setting themselves up there for a harder job of role-playing because they've got no you know they've, they've painted themselves into a corner almost mm-hmm. of playing the role to bring yeah, exactly. us bring us yes. back onto the topic of the, <laughs> the podcast playing the role of that class oh, yeah. is, is uh, you know i'm playing the barbarian hey that, that seems nice cool fun i get to clobber things and do a lot of damage okay and then what do you want to drink is the first question the dm might throw at that player oh uh <laughs> don't know <laughs> i couldn't say whereas the the bard or the or the nature loving hippie druid will be like you know i want a, a herbal tea or i want a your a gin and tonic for the bard or something they've already got some legs to to stand on there whereas or our druid who wants to eat old spoiled milk but that's besides the point <laughs> <laughs> milk must be uh, something in the air because in, in my other campaign i'm running i made them <laughs> the players are in like a, a hyper commercialized capitalistic dwarven town so it's not it's not just like mining mm-hmm. and smiths it's almost like a, a mall a shopping center um mm-hmm. with really like mass-produced g- garbage so there's there's like literally like clothes rails of armor that are all just carbon copied and one of the mm-hmm. reasons they're there is to be like why is, this is a bit crap but one of the one of the things i set up for them was that was a dwarf box to go and get <laughs> coffee mm-hmm. yeah. uh, and then they all ordered milk <laughs> so i don't mm-hmm. know what a weird coincidence i was like okay yeah. milk uh, seven milks please <laughs> the irony of a spores dwarf druid that wants milk that's spoiled <laughs> that's what i'm dealing with in my campaign which is hilarious <laughs> <laughs> that's good L- lots of yeah lots to work with and lean into there you know how many dairy farms i'm like thinking of now to, <laughs> just to come up with just for him and like how many different varieties of milk and where they come from like it's your players give you what they want like yep. it's that's it's 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 literally that easy i love seeing the the tropes and the memes of people searching for like how to make a bomb but don't worry fbi agent i'm a dm <laughs> like this isn't a real oh I'm, yeah i'm doing it for the game <laughs> and like, likewise like what types of milk and and i think we've all every dm has had to do that at some point when they've gone okay let me let me think about that and then just furiously have to research some some insane bizarre topic that they'd never have to google before and definitely end up exactly. on some kind of register somewhere oh yeah absolutely one thing <laughs> again that i made a i made a map of a super simple there's like a second map i made so it wasn't it wasn't very good map of a kind of like a manor mansion house for a uh, masquerade party first floor mm-hmm. uh, ground floor and first floor or first floor and second floor to translate it of you know a oh. ki- a ki- <laughs> i was like wait what <laughs> i was on the same page with you and then i was like wait what <laughs> I, can't, I can never remember which way round it is but yeah um, i mean it would be first floor second floor but the uh, way you 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 presented it i was able to maybe it's smarter <laughs> than they think I, I figured it out <laughs> So like a, you know, there's like a dining room, the the, the study, the the um, kitchen area, but a bunch of bedrooms upstairs, and of course within the first ten minutes, one of the players is like, I want to go into the bathroom, and we and I'd made a battle map just for sake of simplicity, and was like, oh crap, I didn't put any bathrooms on this map of this house that people live in. <laughs> uh, there's an outhouse outside. It's yeah. not on the map. <laughs> yeah, so I, I I quickly took the the tools and just drew on a couple of rooms where i had some negative space left over and just said mm-hmm. okay that's that's your toilets for today and at the end of that session i said okay from now on every bloody building you go into is going to have toilets explicitly labeled because apparently you guys need to know where they are <laughs> so 
<laughs> sometimes when skipping the boring stuff doesn't always pan out. <laughs> yeah, that's too funny. Talking, we've talked about class, class roles, roles of classes. Mm-hmm. We've talked about the role of the DM. We've talked briefly a little bit about the roles of the players, or at least, you know, some things they might not have thought about. One thing I was going to talk about now is to bring us back in game, to maybe close that loop, is NPC roles. Do you mm-hmm. think that NPCs should conform to specific roles? So what I mean by that is, again, to use maybe World of Warcraft as an example, is that obviously you have quest givers that stand mm-hmm. with a yellow exclamation mark above their head, but also in right. thanks to D&D, we also have other kind of uh, roles for NPCs such as a tag along and obviously the, the big bad evil guy what do you think like how do you articulate that in your games do you think it works to the betterment of the game or to the detriment of the game to have NPCs fulfill these kind of roles do they detract from the experience and what are your kind of musings on that topic I think uh you might know the answer to this question already but mm. I do see that they, uh, I'm going to kind of switch it on you a little bit. I do see that their value in having them. Um, I do see that it's, especially for folks that are transitioning into the game for the first time, I find that having some of those specific roles on like having a a big bad evil guy and Mm -hmm. like an NPC who's typically the person that they go to to get certain quests and stuff like that or whatever. I do find that in that standpoint, it can be very important just in order to be able to kind of help players you know, break into the game. But after that kind of happens in the first kind of town, mm-hmm. I personally, our NPC is going to have a role for myself as the dungeon master. Yes. But are they going to be the traditional mm-hmm. archetypes that we're talking about? No. And there are going to be specific NPCs that are going to be quote unquote quest givers, provided that the party does their investigation and mm-hmm. figures out like, you know, hey, there's something going on, we need to figure this out, and then they go to talk to a specific person, they're like, oh yeah, like, I have this thing going on, can you go take care of it, like, but then they're going to come back to that guy, it's not like he's going to be like, oh no, I don't have anything else for you to do, mm-hmm. that was just the only thing, like, I don't need you, I don't, like, go yeah. away, or, or, you know what I mean, like, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, from that standpoint, and then, like, there always needs to be, especially, I mean, there actually technically doesn't, like, you can just completely play an improv game where mm-hmm. eventually the, you just are playing out player retirement, but t- typically, you do have to have some sort of existential crisis or threat, whether it's in the foreground or the background, that is entirely up to you. But generally speaking, you want to have something that is kind of going to be like, if you're going to go from one level one to level 20, and generally speaking, it's probably going to be in the background most of the time mm-hmm. instead of the foreground. Um, but there is fun ways to kind of put it in the foreground as well if you're creative. But having some sort of like evil or antagonistic presence in a game I think is important because it gives your player characters a reason to adventure other than just simply going out to find treasure mm-hmm. so they can make a living because at that point it's a job and mm-hmm. we don't want to pretend that we're uh, have a uh, we don't want uh, <laughs> or at least I like to think we don't like to pretend that we have a job in our pretend world about killing monsters and mm-hmm. slaying dragons from that standpoint I do believe it's important to kind of have that kind of central crisis or that central like um, evil presence mm-hmm. in the traditional sense. Now you could be playing a group of evil characters that want to take away a god. Like that's totally fine too. That mm-hmm. can be your your version of antagonistic evil presence yeah. or whatever. But at the same time, like I think it's very important to have that because it gives you something to build up to and to have something for them to engage with in, near the end of your campaigns. But the traditional sense of like having a specific quest giver or any of those other kind of traditional roles to be filled as NPCs, like no doesn't need to be that way necessarily like 
and like some NPCs might require more out of the party, or maybe it's an it just happens to be an NPC like a wizard or something like that who is valuable to the party, and that's why they keep going back to help him because he. Or he might be asking the players to do something because it's something that he can't do or he doesn't have the time to do, and that's why it's happening. So it can be there, but I don't think it necessarily needs to be thought of, of like, oh, this person's just like a quest giver that gives me multiple quest lines and stuff like that to do, mm-hmm. and they're just like a central place to go for that. I think NPCs are people too. Like they have their mm-hmm. own needs and wants and all that kind of stuff. So if their goals and needs and wants are accomplished, like they may want to do other things, but they may not. And that might be the end of their, that might be the end of their story. Like that person like has the thing taken care of, like the farmer's daughter gets rescued from the goblins or whatever Mm -hmm. like that. And then they never see them again. Like that's entirely possible. Or maybe they were like, Hey, if you want, like, if you want to make some extra coin, like I need some ore out of the mountains, but it's only in this one specific mountain that there might be trolls up there. Like, Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, sure. Like, that can still happen, but mm-hmm. it doesn't have to. Yeah. So, from that standpoint, I guess it's a little bit of yes and a little bit of no. Sure. I guess is the best way to put it, which is, again, worst podcast guest ever. No. I say yes and no to everything. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, not at all. It's somewhere in the middle, like we've been saying. Yeah, yeah. It all, and that's the nature of life, right? So, you know, we're not, we're not going to escape that. But, yeah, I love to subvert expectations, hence going to a mining town and there's not a smithy in sight there's just blinding white lights and clothes racks everywhere it's like oh hang on that's not <laughs> that's not a dwarven city and likewise with my npcs i've probably lent on that a little bit too hard and maybe harder than i should have done for newer players who are probably expecting a little helping hand of to be met in the middle of no come on just give me some exposition here because that's all we need and we're, we're after right now but i've i make points of being like no you can't just keep pressing next 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 in the dialogue tree right and eventually just keep looping around there's a point when the person's like please leave my home now because <laughs> my stew's boiling over and uh <laughs> I, I can't i don't know what else to tell you the classic one i like to use is the npc who's like annoyed by the fact that the players are coming to talk to them mm-hmm because, like, they're in the middle of doing something. Like, in the example you're talking about, like, maybe somebody's just, like, trying to go to work because they're late. And the player characters are stopping them. And he's like, I, I need to go. Like, I'm not, like, you know, NPC number five that's going to sit here and tell exactly. you everything yeah. that I know about the town. Like, I've got to go. But if you want to find uh, Sheriff Jim, he's, like, over there. Bye. See you mm-hmm. later. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm out. <laughs> yeah which can be so frustrating for the players in a, in a good kind of way to be like yeah this, this guy's got to go at somewhere and sometimes it's always well why is he being so why doesn't he want to talk to us why is he nah he's just got a nine he's just got a nine to five <laughs> that's it there's no well and, and 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 i love kind of like it's almost like subverting expectations but it's also a little bit of like like and subverting the like idea of like the you know video game and esque like mm-hmm. style that people are used to but it's just like no, this dude's a real person who has, like, needs. And, like, I have a shopkeeper who basically, like, he sells his items. Like, I would say it's a fair price based on the system that I'm using. Mm-hmm. But my player character's like, oh, that's, like, so expensive. And then, like, say that to the NPC. And he's like, I have to make a living. You know what I bought these things for? This is only, like, a 10% markup. Like, yeah. I need to make a profit here. I'm not trying to screw you over. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, but, like, they still think that he is because it's, like, 10,000 gold. What are you talking about? And it's, like... You know, there's only one of these things in the world, right? I'm not just gonna give it to you for 500 gold. Yeah, <laughs> like you can't just ask like, nicely and yeah. have it for free here. <laughs> Even with your persuasion check of 20, it's gonna be a 30 on that persuasion check. Cause guess what? Like, I need to make a living. Like, I like you, but I don't like you that much. Yeah. Like, and, yeah. and so 
That's the one I always like have fun with is the shopkeeper ones because it's always like, well, why isn't this guy like help working with us? And it's like, well, there's a reason. Mm-hmm. He has to make a living. Mm. Oh yeah, there's real parts of this. Like NPCs like have motivations. Like like it's not like when you go and play in Skyrim and you like you sell all your magic weapons that you got out of the cave that you don't need anymore, and then like the person has like infinite gold to buy them off of mm-hmm. you from like that's not how it works yeah although yeah. i think they did fix that in skyrim is they um set limits on how much gold each each person had but yeah. there were ways to work around it like sleep for a week come back and it's, they still yeah, have yeah. they have more gold again well, like you just you, <laughs> you steal their own goods right in front of them and then just sell it back to them straight away yeah and they're like yeah that was just fine <laughs> yeah that, 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 please take all my money for the goods that was sitting on that shelf in front of me 30 seconds ago here <laughs> exactly yeah, I wonder where that concept of bartering with the shopkeepers has come from, because that happens in like every game, unless you're playing with very mature, experienced players and who are playing very, you know, lawful good characters. Pretty much every right. party will have somebody. One person. That, yeah, somebody who's not necessarily. <laughs> who's not necessarily yeah. lawful, and their immediate thing is give us a discount, which sometimes doesn't make sense because. It, in day to day, I can't go to my supermarket and I can't ask the cashier there, like, give me 10% off this pack of Fosters. And it's, what? Sorry, sir. The, the shelf edge label says it's five ninety nine. dollars <laughs> so, What do you want me to do here? Yeah. Like, <laughs> like, that's just not a thing. So it's exactly it's... there's a, I think there's a couple of things that go there. It's the idea that in a lot of your traditional like fantasy RPGs, like mm-hmm. that system is available. Or at least in a number of them, like your Skyrims and um, I'm trying to think the like Fallout has it, although same company. But there are a number of different games that play like that. And I think also the idea of like, because this is kind of like a unique fantasy world and like back, if you think back to like medieval ages and stuff like that, like you didn't have price tags, Mm -hmm. like people traded and that's how Mm -hmm. things worked back then. And then like gold was a thing, but a lot of times people traded. So, and since most of us play our fantasy settings in that very fantasy way when you put a price tag on something like it and the experience of playing in fantasy style settings and video games and other things makes people think well i can barter for this right and it's like yeah sure you can however you're not going to be able to beat the computer's logic based on the number of times you go and talk to them Mm -hmm. and try to like giggle and flirt with them and then try to see if they'll like give you a knockoff on the price like that might only get you so far and it's not going to be Oh, because they have a very good disposition to you, they're going to give you half off. That they still need to make money, so they're still mm-hmm. going to have some yeah, sort of limit. margin problem. Yeah. There's a limit to how much craziness that you can get away with there. Mm-hmm. And it goes right back the other way. The players will always try to sell their stuff worth more than what it actually is. Mm-hmm. And if they have a savvy shopkeeper talking to them, they're not going to buy it. Mm-hmm. So they always say, like, persuasion check is not dominate person. And intimidation exactly. check is not dominate person. They are exactly. very much within the remit of those spells to have that kind of take the shirt off your back and give it to me. Okay, that's a level four spell slot, please. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like there's a value there. There's a value proposition there. It's not just like doing well on a check. Mm-hmm. And like you said, like you can intimidate some shopkeepers or some people all you want. They might be scared to death of you, but they're not more scared of being homeless. Mm-hmm. So guess what? They might like try to come up with a number they think you might be okay with, but they're probably still going to try to make money off of it. Like, mm-hmm. that's how it works. Exactly. It's like being a real person. Mm-hmm. Weird, it's weird. Like real, it's, it's like real people have needs or something. <laughs> yeah, weird, right? Bizarre. I know. One of, the, one of the things I read recently, someone posted on Reddit about how to run social encounters, and they put the first point, it may or may not have been paraphrased from the Dungeon Master's Guide, but it was basically like, 
just like we're saying, NPCs have got needs, wants, leverage points, essentially. And I sent that to my players to say, look, maybe some of the times that you're, you feel like you're butting heads with me is because you approach pretty much every NPC in the same way of just tell me what you know now and you won't get hurt. I don't know anything that person knows. Okay, you tell me what you know and you won't get hurt. And I said to them, like, when I tell you how they stand and what they're wearing, that's not just you humoring me. That's me helping you out. To kind of figure it out. Yeah. yeah, you might get further by saying, oh, hey, have you have you been working out? Because that shirt's looking a little tight on you, buddy. Anyway, um, what, can you, what do you know about this? It can get you a lot further than just tell me everything you know or you won't hurt you, depending on the NPC. And that's what I, I want to leverage more myself as a DM. Yeah, I, I love the, as silly as it sounds, like there's always going to be like a favorite NPC um, <laughs> out of, in most parties, but I always love to use those NPCs to also highlight the fact that like there are other NPCs that you can treat in a very similar way, at least that you can develop a relationship with and actually like, I don't know, just like you can develop relationships with certain with NPCs that will allow you to have certain benefits. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's like everyone loves is like, oh, this guy's hilarious. And so that's why we want to keep talking to him like that. Yeah, that's a benefit. But then there's also in-game benefits of like, you know, allying yourself with like a certain noble or something like mm -hmm. that. And maybe you get like free passage between a certain area or maybe they are able to get your um, bounty wiped away because you did something that was seen as unlawful, but like they can vouch for you or something mm -hmm. like that. Like, which is what I'm kind of excited for in um, Tasha's Cauldron and everything is uh, the, the group patrons, the, pa the group patrons and stuff like that. There's a lot of, and I think a lot of folks can actually utilize a lot of that um, material to not only guide necessarily like, oh, patrons in the traditional sense, but also um, having that ability to use that as a kind of basis to role play a number of major NPCs that could be of benefit to the party that aren't necessarily just their patrons sending them out on things or doing or having them do things for them. Mm -hmm. I think it's a really great way to kind of use that as a way to build like, okay, if I'm going to have an NPC that's going to be important and can benefit the party, like this could be a good way to kind of build them out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's something I'm looking forward to having a bit more of a framework around as well. And again, something I haven't really thought too much of on but needless to say, I'm very much looking forward to Tuesday. I've already <laughs> earmarked a couple of the subclasses that I want to, a little theory crafting session around and uh, and so on and Absolutely. so on. Have you got any any points you wanted to discuss or any topics you wanted to talk about around the concept of roles? I think we kind of hit a lot of the major ones I wanted to talk about because we, we talked about like the role of the dungeon master, the player, mm -hmm. the character, role playing itself entirely. Whenever I have this conversation with folks is I really try to push, and I think this has been apparent, the sincerity and the honesty that role play can be enhanced by, like, mm. or that role play can be enhanced much more by honesty and sincerity in the context of what we just talked about when we're talking about NPCs and like how you interact with them and like certain people like certain things and don't like certain things like. Or having that understanding of like when you're playing your player character that like that based on what their experiences are like is going to inform them on what their decisions will be differently necessarily than what your own experiences would be and how you would react in the situation. Mm -hmm. And kind of utilizing that as a framework to give yourself something to base your decisions off of as a role playing character in a tabletop role playing game. Mm -hmm. I think that we oftentimes look very much at the surface level 
kind yeah. of aspects where we see physical characteristics, the stat array that we put on our stat blocks and stuff like that. But the one thing that I always find very interesting is that usually that top right-hand corner of most character sheets where it says personality traits, bonds, and flaws, and all mm -hmm. that kind of stuff, usually is the last thing that people think about because it doesn't have a mechanical aspect yep, to it in the 5th edition game. And I think it's interesting because people either just fill that in with something random and ignore it completely. Mm -hmm. They don't fill it in. I have only played so many characters, but I'd love to get to the point where I've played enough characters that I can take the random assortment of ideals, bonds, and flaws, put them on a piece of paper, and then think about ways that are mm -hmm. reasons in their backstory of why they are this way. For sure, yeah. What informed them and why don't they trust people? Mm -hmm. Or like, like, why is the most important thing to them their Meemaw? Mm -hmm. What is the reason behind that? And how does that inform how they react into a situation where someone's family member is in danger? Yeah. Or when some person comes up to them asking for them for aid, but they're apprehensive of helping that person because they don't know who they are mm -hmm. and they've only just met. Yeah. So I find that thought process around the idea of role play much more rich and engaging and honest. Mm -hmm. That's kind of the one thing that I want to kind of hammer here than just kind of looking at everything on the left side of the character sheet, as yeah. I like to say, which is basically the numbers. Yeah. Which can technically impact role play because of the randomness. Yeah. However, I'm the DM that I'll say that would probably lead to a specific result. I don't need a role mm -hmm. because you did things a certain way. You gained XYZ benefit out of the interaction mm -hmm. because you're doing it in a sincere and honest way to the way your character would portray it mm -hmm. as opposed to what your stats on the left side of your character sheet would mm -hmm. lead you to believe. Yeah. Christmas six characters have a place to be able to get things in social situations. They have that ability. Despite the fact that they may not necessarily be the greatest at reading people or mm. they may not have that kind of like flair and panache in the way they present things and when they speak. But if they say the right things and they sound sincere, generally speaking, that's going to have an impact on an NPC or a person that they interact with, mm -hmm. just like in real life. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You're preaching to the converted because I've mentioned this <laughs> on previous episodes. I've said that those boxes are, are prominent. They're there on the front, the first front page, taking up a you mm -hmm. know a good like ten percent of the space on that page. It's it's almost like a fifth. I, I if I actually did the measurements out, mm. I think it's quite a bit more than we think it is because yeah. we only really look at the the like left two thirds, but then it's basically taking up the upper right third of the yeah. right side of the character sheet, yeah. right under the the name and what they look like. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a huge <laughs> deal. But you're absolutely right. Is that people never look at it, and it's just a case of, well, I have to roll a d6, and it says that I hate money. Okay, whatever. I hate money. I guess I put that down there, and I never look at it again because it exactly that doesn't make sense. So yeah, my final point, I guess, would be is that role playing's hard. Right? Oh yeah, to to do it, it, it in any way that is successful and engages and enriching and makes everyone's fun it's 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 hard there's so many micro transactions micro decisions that people have to make every mm -hmm. moment to moment of every single word in like the intonation of every single word and should i speak now should i not speak now should i interject now should i not interject now do i know this does my character know this is is hard and absolutely to to use your you know you're saying people only look at the surface level to use an in-game metaphor it's like casting detect thoughts but not probing 
that extra level deeper. So when you cast Detect Thoughts, you get a surface level read of the NPC that says, are they scared, frightened, happy? What are they thinking about in that instant at time? Which is, I think, how a lot of people potentially roleplay. It's that very much that instantaneous, uh, I'm mad, so I'll kill this person. I'm sad, so... I'll, I'll kill this person. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm happy, so I'll kill this I'll person. I'll kill this person. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas, you know, exactly. with the, the tech thoughts, you can, you can choose to probe deeper. And I think that bridging that gap, probing deeper inter- internally, I guess, and being, as you said, being, you know, honest and sincere is, is the, where the difficulty lies. But that's the... That's the... That's, that, that's the meat and potatoes. And, yeah. and, and that's why I like DMing for newer players because seeing them identify that along their journey and mm-hmm. having that discovery in the game itself and having that aha moment like of like, wait a minute, I'm not just this. This dude's actually a person. like, mm-hmm. Or this is actually an entity that thinks a certain way because he did X, Y, Z, and now he probably wouldn't do things the exact same way where he failed the last time. Like, mm. why would I lather, rinse, repeat what I just did? That makes no sense. And then they slowly develop it. That's why I like to say, like, 10 or 15 episodes of, or 10 or 15, I say episodes, 10 or 15 games. Mm-hmm. Um, in generally speaking, players tend to start to slowly, they kind of, like, hit that, that breaking point of, like, all right, I can break the traditional tropes now for you. I'm going to challenge you a little bit more now as a result. Which way do you lean and which mm-hmm. way do you go? Do you lean into it or do you step back? And if you step back, that's not necessarily a bad thing. No. We just have to do things a little bit differently mm-hmm. in that standpoint than I would for somebody who's going to lean in. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I have those kinds of personalities in my games. Like I have some people who are really into it. And then I have some people that like lean back and like love the um, the nuts and bolts, like pretzels and chips yeah. kind of start out of the game. So. And it's kind of knowing and teasing those out and like what they value mm. and figuring that out is what kind of helps you and is ultimately one of the biggest skills as a dungeon master is like being able to either groom it or see it and wh- which way they end up going and which one they gravitate towards and being able to adapt as needed. Mm-hmm. Yep. I, I had a good example of what you just mentioned quite recently of that player realization. We were we were chatting on IM and I was telling him, you know, you guys maybe don't talk as much as an adventuring party might, which is maybe why sometimes you you have a bit of stickiness a bit of friction with the other players as a cohesive unit maybe you're not quite there yet but you don't in my opinion don't maybe talk as much as you should and he said oh but you know we were all we're all from broken homes haven't we We all got like killed family so we wouldn't feel like that and i said no that's not true i said i don't want to spoil it for you but i think only you and one other player characters have that and I just left it silent, and you could you could almost feel the clocks, the uh, the cogs turning the in gears. his brain. The, yeah, the gears. Yeah. yeah, and he went, oh, because then he put two and two together. The the first comment of we don't talk enough, and B, me, him just assuming that they're they're all from broken homes. So I said, no, no they're not. I can tell you because I know their backstories, and it's not you know outside of the scope that you might know this already. So I said, they're not from broken homes. You just haven't asked the question. You just haven't said how are you doing where is your where do you hail from where's your home do you have a wife and kids at home and he he was like oh god you're right i just totally assumed that because we were just looking at that surface level detail and that was that exact that that precise moment of the pin dropping of right i understand now i can see where my own preconceptions and my own layers of bias have been layered in front of me and the character and now he's slowly starting 
to push his way through those layers to get closer to the character yeah. really live in his shoes walking in his in his boots exactly cool all right then i think that pretty much is a, is a really good point to bring us to a close on is there anything you want to you want to plug uh while you have the opportunity yeah sure so um in addition to um, everything we kind of talked about, I play um, the live game that we play in um, on the Blue Collar DM Twitch channel does air on at 8.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So for the folks across the waters, it's probably going to be in the <laughs> middle of the night. So I apologize. But we air um, at that point and then we actually put that um, game um, edited down as far as like taking the breaks and shrinking them and leaving everything else uncut and putting that up on YouTube the following Sunday, as well as in podcast format through Anchor. So it's on like Spotify mm-hmm. and Google Podcast and a bunch of Everything. other ones, but yeah. <laughs> um, but it's there. Um, then Thursdays at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, unless craziness happens, I am doing that DM stream where we do the uh, homebrew evaluations mm-hmm. as well as the monster breakdowns and some other tips of the week or whatever the case may be. Um, I also am on all the socials, all the all the buttons, look up Blue Collar DM on TikTok, Instagram, blah, 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 all mm-hmm. the fun ones that you can think of, and you'll probably get all the thing, all the announcements that are coming out, as well as um, I run a daily Dungeon Master tip on um, YouTube as a short form video, as well as um, those are usually on TikTok prior to getting onto YouTube. So if you want a sneak peek of those tips, you can check them out there. Um, the only other thing I have coming is um, I'm currently in the works of taking that online campaign and bring it into World Anvil for folks to take a look at as well as um, offering basically general like Dungeon Master lessons to folks. Mm-hmm. I do one-on-one coaching, but I also am in the process of constructing kind of like a course, I guess is the best way to put it, for folks that like are either jumping into the seat for the first time or want to look at things in a different perspective or just need a little bit more guidance on whether it be Dungeon Mastering, Game Mastering, probably geared more towards the overall like development of managing a table and mm-hmm. stuff like that and like understanding like how to create quest lines and stories and stuff like that Mm -hmm. and also improvisation and adapting to the things that your players present so we're basically just trying to do a whole lot of stuff so that way folks that want to do that want to play the hobby or are thinking about playing in the hobby or interested in the hobby we want to break down as many barriers for them as possible Mm -hmm. so that's kind of what we're all about and i'm trying to hopefully aid in that process of basically making D&D be something that's you know a staple in pretty much everyone's home because it has so many benefits from just the things we talked about just from mm-hmm. a camaraderie standpoint with your friends but also um, mentally and psychologically and holistically mm-hmm. it's a great game and i want to make sure that like everyone who is interested and wants to have a crack at it has that opportunity and knows where to go awesome to everyone at home i do thoroughly recommend checking out your stuff um i do like the shorts you mentioned i was going to mention them if you didn't the, the, like, <laughs> the, the minute long ones because they're they're quite handy and it is you know a nice format just to have let me just blast this real quick and there's going to be some nugget in there of something useful that just gets you thinking. So yes, I do recommend checking out Howie's stuff. To everyone at home, thank you all for listening. If you've got any thoughts or comments, you can find me at Danilo underscore d on Twitter. Otherwise, thank you and good night.